Hello and welcome to this, the first episode of Blood on the Severn, a chronicle uh, that is already having a lot of tech issues on the first night. I'm apo I apologize for all of these. Uh, we're going to be playing a vampire chronicle set in Bristol, England in the year 2012 and moving on forwards into the, t into the future. Uh, tonight is a very special event. We're going to be showcasing the, the beginnings, the embraces of our player characters. And it is also a very special event because we have the help of an amazing support cast. So we're going we're gonna to be having lots of people for you to meet uh, tonight. Uh, also, we're going to be showing you not only the player characters and braces, but how they have turned and how things have changed. Um, now, without further ado, let's step into the first of these, the embrace of Matilda. And now we're going to be playing Matilda's Embrace. So please introduce yourselves. Ma play Matilda. I'm Alice. I'm playing Matilda. Her sire. <laughs> I'm Nat. I'm playing Grace, Matilda's sire. And an unfortunate victim. <laughs> yeah. And Ryan. <laughs> so, yeah. Should happen. <laughs> so these are the the living knights of Matilda. Still, we are in the eighties, uh, a time that is wrought with a lot of political friction. Many things are happening across the United Kingdom, especially up north. There are several several political issues around, also worker unions and miners' rights. Matilda has been very vocal about this for quite a while. Because it's, a, it's something that you know, strikes close to home. Grace has met Matilda in several occasions, and then they have realized that they see eye to eye in a lot of very important issues. Maybe Matilda's views are a little bit more extreme, but maybe it's because she's young. Um, Grace has asked Matilda to join her for an evening of tea or drinks and a chat because there are important things that need to be said. And she believes that Matilda could benefit from potential proposition that she has. So the night starts um, as it would any other night after Matilda finishes her grease monkey job, <coughs> doing, doing some repairs uh, for some of the trucks um, she gets, she goes back home, scrubs herself clean, and then goes and meet Grace at a, at a place of her choosing. And um, the night starts normal, you know, greetings and pleasantries, exchanging what you have done throughout the course of the day. But now is it's a, a little bit of a of a deeper conversation, the kind of conversation Grace and Matilda like to have when they are left to their own devices is the future and how things can be changed and why some things can't or shouldn't. But sometimes you agree and sometimes you don't. Grace, Matilda, the floor is yours. Yeah. Oh, um, oh go on. Yeah. So I just, I don't know. It... 
everything feels a bit stagnant, you know? It's sort of it's frustrating sometimes. There's only so much you can do. Do you ever feel like that? Oh, I understand you. Totally. But, yeah. you know, it's just, you know, I admire your drive and your passion. You know, it's something I had a little bit when I was younger, but I lost it over the years. I don't know. You seem like you still have it. A little, a little. But, um, listen, uh, the point I'm getting to is, um, I see, I see, you know, the picket lines and I see you shouting and, you know, caring about these, these miners and the families and, you know, that it's a lost battle, Grace. Sorry, Matilda. It's, it's a lost battle. It's, I, I, it's, I don't, it's, I don't, what? it's not, I'm, what are you talking about? It's not. Change is coming. The mines just aren't profitable anymore. Yeah, but then if they're not, then the government isn't doing anything to help them. Like, the people who get left behind, I mean, change can happen and there could be a point where there isn't enough... But there isn't enough jobs, so there has to be change to support people, I mean... <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you, I really do. But... All this shouting you're doing, all this placard waving. Yeah, but I don't see it when I sh go out shouting. You're never in the crowds in the day, are you? No, no, but you know, I I hear about it and see it on the news sometimes. You know, you're quite you're quite vocal. But uh, listen, you need to redirect your energies. You need to find where something well, else, then. some other way to help these people. You know, it's gonna happen. The mines are gonna close. It's. The best thing you can do is just redirect them, you know, help the miners, get them into fresh jobs, give them a new purpose, help the families, you know, save, save the livelihoods. But all this you're doing at the moment, it's, it's lost. You need to start planning. And Grace, oh sorry, crying out doing it, but just sort of sit back and sort of absorb that for a minute and maybe just have a, have a drink and, and then just say, Fine, if you, if if that's that's what you think, then I'm all ears. Well, I mean, I'm only, but I'm only one person. I know, but there's a lot that one person can do, you know. And this is this is the real reason why I wanted to speak to you tonight. You know, obviously we've known each other a fair bit now, and can see a lot of potential in you. You know, you're driven, you're passionate. And uh, you've got a keen business mind, you know, I, I feel like... <laughs> really? Feel like, uh, yeah, you know, obviously, you're young and... But it's best, you know, get them on the path young when... Uh, you know, strength and ideals and ideas. It's not that young, Jesus. Um, I, I'm, I don't know about business mind, but I guess... I suppose I can tell people what to do a little bit. It's all about channeling your passion, you know, finding yourself. But like you said, you say that one person can't do much and that can be true, but there's a way, you know, that one person can do a lot. And maybe it's it's not a way you've thought about before, you know, it's... Um, see, there's something, something I've not told you and uh, you might think it weird how you don't ever see me in, in the daylight and, and that and... Yeah, it's uh, there's it? a way. 
there's a way you can be like me and you can be you can be better you know you think oh. how in what way are you better you just you're more able to help you know you have more i want to say power but i mean it kind of is power it's you, you don't just become just one person anymore yeah you, yourself but everything's amplified you know you can do so much more is this some kind of new age culty thing not quite but it it might seem a bit out there listen i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you everything all right and you know if you don't like it if you want if you want it out then you know you can leave it and you know it'll all just go away and you won't see me again okay but right. i'm gonna i'm gonna level with you and i'm gonna tell you so i'm always so you folk call us call us vampires I know that seemed a bit, bit, a bit out there, you know. Stop it. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm being serious. It's not, uh, it's not like the horror movies, you know. I mean, it is a bit. It is all that. Obviously, the blood and everything. Are you, are you joking? I, I'm not joking. I'm not, honestly. I know, I know, I want to joke, but I'm being deadly serious with you now. Okay. Right. So, so vampires are real. Go on, werewolves, um, zombies, what's next? I mean, that's that's a whole other conversation, you know. But, uh, but vampires, or kindred as we're called, were real. And were always there, you know, always on the fringes. Always using our, using our power, using our knowledge to shape events, you know, throughout history. And this is something... This is a place where you could make an impression on history if you chose this path. You could you could help these miners now. I don't think you can stop, like I said, the closure of the mines. They're not profitable. The writing's on the wall in that respect. But what you can do is you can help the miners find them new jobs, new direction, and shape it like that so that, you know, the families aren't left in poverty. And you can do that. This is so, completely ridiculous. <laughs> I, I mean, oh my god, you're serious? I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. And I know it's a lot. I know it is. And I'm sorry okay. to spring it on you. But like I said, well, I... if you want, you can walk away. But... I, don't, I don't think I want to walk away. Well... I think that's wisier, but it's a big step. It's a lot. You know, you, you can't... Your family, you won't be able to... They can't know about what you are, you see. They'll, they'll be in danger. You can see them. I can see them. You know? I can see them still. You can see them. There's ways, you know? There's ways, but they can't know about you. If I... If I, if I say yes, does, hmm? and... It sounds like you, oh my god, this is ridiculous. It sounds like you have a lot of influence. It's, can I, can you guarantee that I can help, that I can keep supporting my family, keep seeing my family then? 
can. I can guarantee. There's there's going to be a time, obviously, when because you know vampires. A lot of the myths are, are rubbish, you know, the garlic stuff like that. But some of it is true, you know. We don't we don't age when you get when you get embraced, as we call it. You're stuck in time. So saying ten years or so, when you should be maybe getting a few grey hairs, you know, you won't have any of that. So well, maybe then you don't go grey, so that's not a problem, luckily. Well, um... you say that, but you know the wrinkles under your eyes, you won't be getting that. And people are start asking questions. So yeah, you know, in the future, maybe there's there's questions and things you'll have to do to to protect your identity and protect your family. But certainly, you know, in the next ten years or so, you can still see your family as long as they don't know who you are, and you can help them, and you can help the miners. And that's what you want, isn't it, Grace? Matilda. <laughs> So what do, yeah. what do you say then? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's it's a big it's a big step. You sure? I mean, I do. I. It's. You know, I, you haven't given me much time to think about it, but I, if if it's a yes now or no forever, then it's a yes now. <clears throat> well. If you're sure. And, uh, I think I am. Yeah. Grace moves closer to Matilda. And at the Matilda is still in this half haze. This is is it is she serious business? And something deep inside her said even if she's not 100% true to me, you know, even if it's not really vampire vampires, there is something else. But all those doubts fade away the moment Grace approaches her and and she looks into Matilda's eyes and, you, and Matilda manages to see something more, something feral about them. Grace is very gentle and very, very delicate. But there is a glimpse of fear when Matilda sees the fangs coming close to her. Then the ecstasy of the kiss takes hold of her. And the next thing she knows, she's back. Now, this seems now like a memory. This happened about a year ago. You're finding yourself now in a much different position after your embrace you have been taught by grace what it is to be a kindred of the camarilla or in yorkshire and the and how the the camarilla deals with things in the north she told you that you are of clan ventru and what it meant she told you that you were meant to rule and lead she taught you many things she became a good friend but something still gnawed at Matilda every day. The structure the Camarilla had, especially the structure the Ventru had, looks way too similar to that oppressive structure that destroyed her family's dreams, that manages to destroy the mines and the, and, and get in trouble with the unions. And, uh, and it failed 
it felt another phase of stagnation, but this time an eternal one. Matilda has not acted upon this just yet, but what did happen a couple of nights ago was that she was hunting by herself and accidentally drank dry her first victim. She had been very careful not to drink anyone dry, never killing, always drinking from very specific type of people. But this time she was hungry and she could not stop herself. She had also been taught how to embrace, which is odd for a neonate, but she knew how to do it. And Ragwith killed. She fed this poor man some of her blood because she couldn't, she couldn't really bear the guilt of killing him. Nothing goes unnoticed by the ever, ever seen eye of the Camarilla. This night finds Grace, Matilda, and Andrew, Matilda's child, in the presence of Sean, Sheriff of Yorkshire. He has been summoned here by Grace, for she intends to explain things and make things right. The tradition of progeny has been preached. Matilda has sired without consent of her elders, in this case the prince. Her life and that of her child are forfeit, and Grace wants to stop that from happening. Sean paces around Andrew while well, he is sitting on a chair. So, how long have you been like this? Like this? What day? He doesn't know anything. I will ask the questions here. What what was what was what's going on? What what what's happened? Have you talked to anyone? I I I I woke up and saw her. She she. I I don't understand. What, what is going on? Please, someone just tell me what's going on. He looks at you, Richard, uh, Andrew, and, uh, and for a second there, you feel this fear of this, this creature projecting on you. He turns to Matilda and says, How can we guarantee that he has said nothing to he anyone. Hasn't said, I've, I've been with him the whole time. He hasn't said a thing to anyone. He hasn't been in contact with anyone. I've made sure that he stayed in one place. See, Grace, this is what your clansmen say. Your ideas are being dangerous. This is a potential masquerade breach. 
but it's a definite breach of the progeny. Who do you think you are, Matilda? Siring someone without the prince's permission. What What does it matter to you? I I was fixing my own mistake before you got involved. But now your mistake I'm... has consequences. Then let me deal with the consequences. Don't... Don't let him. The if it... Is... If it... The law is very clear. That's wrong. Did I hear right, Grace? Is your child saying that the traditions are wrong? She's, she's just a bit overwhelmed, Sheriff. Just... Listen. Just dispense of him. And let's, let's be done with this. The, 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 ch the chair that uh, Angelon tips back <laughs> as he's face the floor and his, his hands seem to be holding, holding something in each hand as he's backing towards um, whatever wall or whatever the fuck is behind him. Yes. Don't worry about it. You'll feel nothing. I'm still undecided as to whether I do it myself or should I bring you to the prince? You see, there's a tradition of destruction as well. One that everyone must oversee. So you have a, a choice in the matter, Matilda. He's your progeny. He's still a fletchling. Destroy him yourself. And perhaps out of that old boon that I owe Grace, I might speak on your behalf in front of the prince, so you are left untouched. You have to kill him yourself. Just gonna look at Grace and see if there's what if there's any reaction from her, anything that she's offering. Do it. You've got to learn. Fix your mistakes. Fine. All right, she'll go over to the um, to the chap. <laughs> He's backing towards yeah, you're probably against probably a wall. Of, yeah, oh, probably pro pro the corner of them as far away as he can. Is he like? Is he pressing. tied to the chair or is he just no? Like, no, he, no, he he he's, he's been left free. It's not like the chair is very worried that he can get anywhere. Yeah, that's all right. Um, okay, all right. She'll go over to him and she'll just kneel next to him, um, and she's like, um. I'm, I'm really sorry. What, 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 what happened? What, what have you done to me? I, I didn't. What is this, Prince? So, what is going on? Far bigger than you can understand. Um, <laughs> is, is there anyone? Do you have any family? And he kind of. So he unfurls one, one of his fists, mm -hmm. and this crumpled photograph that um, Grace Matilda might have, see, might have seen him looking at, of him and a, uh, a and and a young lady. So, so those two, two sort of doting over each other. So I, I, I have have her who's I'm I'm just give uh, 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 opens the other hand and a. 
ring falls out on the floor. It's clearly, uh, it's, cl it's clearly an engagement ring. It's it's like really it's it's, it's almost like a, even even though we're wealthy man, it's clearly a really really expensive ring that he's just he's just okay. kind of cradled in his hand. Right. She his just hand says, closed back over it. She just says shh, and then uh, opens his hand like gently, sort of gently, but also forcefully opening it, and, and just takes it, and it just says. It's okay. And then she's going to um, take his neck and snap it. The sheriff looks at what has happened. It says to Grace, do we need to do anything else? Clearly your child. We will see. Come to to the Elysian before the end of the night. I'll try to secure an audience for you and the prince. Let's see if he is willing to let things rest. You owe me a boon. I think you should let this slide. She's learned her lesson. I'll keep a closer eye on her from now on. It's not that big of a, of a boon, Grace. But perhaps you can owe me a minor one in exchange. And we can call it even. Fine. I'll I'm happy with this. I'll contact, let her go. contact the boon keeper. New Matilda. Something tells me I will be seeing you again in similar circumstances. So best make it some more time. Thank you very much. The sheriff leaves. True to his word, he owes boon sorry the the bow the the boon he owed uh, grace is erased and there is an exchange of bows but it's not long before matilda finds herself in another situation not similar it's not like this definitely but something that breaches the traditions for a second time, Grace tries to save her neck, but at this time, she's asked to leave. Matilda will eventually make her way down south to Bristol, seeking refuge, refuge from the Camarilla into the Anarch faction. Grace as a last gesture of friendship, appreciation, sirenly love, call it if you will, does everything in her power to buy her enough time. But the real reason the blood hunt is called off is another story. 
Thank you very much to my players. Now I leave you with Matilda Wells. Enjoy. Do you know what the hardest part about studying law is? It's all the Latin. It's just pages and pages of it. I think they would have gotten rid of it by now, but the old guard, I suppose, they're too attached to the grandeur of a dead language to try. Perhaps they're too lazy, or perhaps they're afraid that if you change that, what might be next? If you take away that cornerstone, what could possibly fall loose? I know quite a few kindred who are also afraid of that. I don't blame them. They should be. See here, Lex Lata, that means the laws exists. And you've spent as much time as I have with the Camarilla. With other venture, you get a pretty solid idea of how tightly they cling to that. The laws exists, predominantly to serve them. And the laws exist to stamp out any kind of insubordination whatsoever. It's not much of an existence, if you ask me. I realised that a while ago. Got out from under and here I am. Ventuanic in Bristol. It's about as fun as it sounds. The nice thing about Latin, though, is there is a snappy phrase for everything. So the old kindred can keep their Lex Lata and I'll take the Lex Ferenda, the law as it should be, and I'll see it done eventually. Hello and welcome to the embrace of Carl and playing the role of Carl we have. Ah, uh, me, yeah. uh, Josh Darcy, I am playing the role of Carl. So I'm looking forward to this, obviously currently still immortal. <laughs> now, Carl's got a twin sister. And can you introduce yourself, please? Hi, I'm Kirsty, and I'll be playing Carl's twin sister. Christine. Uh, and there is someone that people who follow Blood on the Severn will recognize. Len? Hi, I'm Len, uh, and I'm playing Mary tonight. So Mary, for those who who are in the know, is our Camarilla Toreador that we played in the 1653 um, one-shot, historical one-shot. Uh, so some of you will be glad that she made it to more recent nights. Now, Carl and Christine, they come from the De Toro family. This is a, a family sort of like jet set level, you know, uh, entrepreneurs, artists, businessmen, they dealt in everything that is high society, mostly. Christine and Carl have been told ever since they were kids that there is always a possibility every few generations in their family of being more, the extra mile, if you will. And this is something that Christine has always wanted. Although the night of the decision is just fast approaching. Your 30th birthday is tomorrow. So a decision will be done tonight to see who will inherit this. You are now in the house of someone you believe to be very high up within the, the Toro family. You're in Paris. 
a place where you have spent half of your time together with London. And it's Christine and Carl alone in the library, waiting. <sighs> All right. When do we get to go home? I've had enough of this. I just want to get back to Bristol. Really? Are you that in that much of a hurry? We're, we're in Paris, for crying out loud. This is important, Carl. We have lived in Paris half our lives. I'm not interested. It's... Um, it's just not... It's not important to me. I have a job. I had a big break. I'm, I'm supposed to be on stage at the Bristol Old Vic right now. You have this a job. is the biggest part of my life. I'm, I mean... It's, Carl, it's what I've been building. Yes, what? Carl, it's it's wonderful what you've been building, but I've been keeping this family running. You've, I'm, I'm happy for you. I am. I know you are. Just, I know, and I know, I know. This is this all is you. important to me. I know it's, I know you it's know important this. to you. Well, that's why I came, Christine. That's why I came. I came for you because it's important to you. It's not important to me, as you well know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here for any other reason but for my twin sister. And so I'm just happy to smile, suck it up and take it just for another couple of nights and then I can go back to my life. That, that sounds like a perfect plan. Yeah. Excellent. Exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's all very well. I mean, look out there, the Champs-Elysees and... Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I, anything, is there anything good on in Paris at the moment? <laughs> I mean, surely. Surely. I mean, that, just hey. a load of old Moliere or something, probably. No, I'm sure that's something good. I did see some good Moliere ones. It's rare, I think. But I did I, I buy a Romanian um, company. Excellent. Alexandra Darrier, I think, was the director. Very good. But, um, but here, I've never seen any good Moliere. It's all just largely original practices. Dry right. nonsense. Mm -hmm importance of, of the traditions, isn't it? Well, some would say. I'm not interested in the traditions myself. I'm interested in breaking a few boundaries. Creating art that that, that that kind of takes people by surprise for once. If you're going to use those old texts, then bring them up to date. Make them live for people. And it's, it's so rare that that actually happens. And the show at Bristol, I mean, admittedly, it's, you know, it's Shakespeare. I mean, blimey. How often is Shakespeare done? But at, at least it, I, I felt that the the director had a bit of had some balls to them in it, mm. and and instead I'm here and the understudy's on. I mean, probably <laughs> just kind of taking all the plaudits from me. Mm -hmm. That must be that must be terrible. It's oh. frustrating, as you know. But this is your night. I understand that. Um, you know, the chance to be more, as they say, <laughs> get the gift at 30, hooray, all yours. I, I do appreciate you being here. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. As I say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't complain. It's, it's for you and you've kept the family going. I've got no interest in that, you know, the old parents. <laughs> and, um, a few more minutes pass and then you can hear the steps resounding on the halls at the last moment you know 
Carl and Christine just, just hold hands for a second just to reassure each other. Well, more to reassure Christine of, you know, this is happening. You'll do a ride. And then you'd both stand up and receive the person walking. She is a very, very classy old lady. Long white hair. There is something about her. You do not know how, you know, quite well how to put it. She does seem different in a way. Uh, She's not like an old gaunt woman, but she's definitely getting there. But everything about her is measured. It's almost unreal. That's Mary jumps into the floor. Do we know Mary? We've never seen no, her. No, never seen her before. Okay. So, time for introductions, Mary. Ah, uh, well, you guys have arrived, both of you, mm-hmm. on time, in fact, and very punctuous. Thank you for that cooperation of this lovely evening tonight we're having. Please do introduce yourselves. I'm curious to know who you are. Oh, well, um, I am Carl de Toro, and um, um, well, she can speak for herself. Uh, yes, indeed, a beautiful, uh, a, a beautiful evening, isn't it? With lights flickering in the distance and stars beginning to come out and all that sort of stuff. Very eloquently put. How okay. about you, lady? It's, it's Christine, ma'am. It's, it's a pleasure to finally meet you. Uh, indeed. You, you, knew, you knew she was coming. <clears throat> Shut up. Sorry. <laughs> How endearing. Well, this is not really the place to chat, is it? In the middle of the hallway. How about oh. we take these doors and go up to the lovely gardens? Right, right. of course. Oh, the roof garden. Excellent, yes. How splendid. Please. As you step out uh, outside into the roof garden, it is a work of art. It is something absolutely breathtaking. And it seems to have been taken, you know, arranged by, by an expert architect. The lighting, the types of plants and flowers, their positioning, the pruning, and the and, and every little detail has been taken into, into account. You see, Christine, this is what I'm talking about. This is an ancient art form, the art form of landscape gardening and horticulture, and yet, and yet the true beauty up here is every time I enter this place, it is extraordinary. Every season is different. The way in which these plants here, these 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 hostas, seem to seem to just kind of move and and and, and gently overshadow the the the, the lower hedge hedgerow. It's it's just so gorgeous, don't you see? This is the kind of thing that I'm trying to do as well. That's the point. Well, I'm flattered by your compliments. Uh, what well, is, is this your work? Well, yes. You did not know. No. I'm the architect of this building, and of, uh, well, not this building exactly, but this roof garden here. I'm actually, it's this is my profession, and I uh, oh. put this one together. 
Well, I'm 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 sorry if I seem seem sycophantic in that case. I'm, I'm, I had no idea. <laughs> no, please. It's very enlightening to see someone of the same fuel in my family still. I'm glad there's still some love and nuance for the arts alive in this bloodline of ours. Of course there is, of course. I mean, that that that's why I have relied on my sister so much that she has run the business of the family for the whole of our adult life because uh, lives because this has allowed me to to be an artist, to be an actor. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I have pretensions in other directions, of course, but that has been oh. my, main, my main role so far, at least in life. So an artisan, that's amazing. Mm. Christine, you said you were taking care of the business. Yes. As a family. Yes. Do tell about that, please. The, the, the planning, the financial aspects, the, the social gatherings, the, the reputation we uphold. It's, it's my craft, if you will. Mm. I, I assure that it happens as, as splendidly as it can, with care and love. And um, and it is an art form. I mean, she she is a tremendous organizer. It is phenomenal. Oh, you remind me of my sister-in-law. Always so punctious. So delight to be around. I thank you. But we're here for a reason, obviously. There's this mm -hmm. great opportunity for one of you waiting. I'm sure you must be thrilled at the prospect of it. Oh, However, I would like to know something. And of course, this is the personal taste, but I would love to know what both of your opinions are. What is your favorite flower? Yes, it's very important. My favorite flower, it's... Yes. Allow me to elaborate why I put this question out there. You see, there's a lexicon of sorts of flowers and plants and their meanings behind them. Oh. A personal taste in a certain mm. flower can reflect a lot of someone's personality. And it's very important that I pick the right flower to save, so to speak. Of course. So please do elaborate. What is your favorite flower? Speak on, Christine. You were about to say something. Yes, of course. It's um, it's the forget-me-not. Oh. It's it's rather delicate. I, I know, but it's. It it somehow does speak to me. It's it's beautiful pastel tint that it has. The soft colors. It's. It's something else entirely. I do agree, and with the right foliage surrounding the forget-me-nots, it can be quite stunning on its own. How about you, Colin? Well, I'm afraid my favorite flower seems to be a bit of a cliche, for it is the rose. And yet, the rose comes in so many different colors, and the art of the horticulturalist in, in the ability to breed new hybrids, new forms of beauty that come from this one flower. This is, this is truly the greatest of flowers to me. And of course, it is only enhanced by its thorns. You know, you make a great point about the roses. They're my favorite too, in fact. And for oh. this reason, this reason alone. You know, without the beautiful, gorgeous flower buds these rose bushes have, 
it might not actually be seen as a flower. Because no. what, of course, makes a flower or a plant different from a weed? The fact that it's wanted mm. in the garden. And with the its bird. prickly bushes, the rosebud... Sorry, I'm so sorry. I just, I just love these roses so much. With its bushes, its prickly bushes, would it be wanted by the people, if not for the gorgeous soft petals of its rosebud? Indeed. And as I was saying, the, the language of the rose, the way in which rose can mean a rose can mean friendship, or it can mean love or jealousy, that there that it has its own its own vocabulary as well. It's uh, it's something that has transcended the the plant kingdom and and has em entered into our own vernacular. Exactly, it's the most prominent of the flower lexicons out there. It's the most well-known by humans and humankinds because of its delicate petals and its That's true. delicious smells. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with forget me not though. Let's let's not forget. <laughs> uh, forget me not. not. Naturally, there's nothing wrong with the rose. Clearly, there are no wrong answers here. Good, my children. There are only preferences. And tonight, obviously, a preference must be made, despite you know the harshness of it sounding it that way. It's obviously a great, great uh, opportunity for the both of you, or, or for one of you, actually, to be gifted this treasure. Well, well we both thought, because of uh, Christine's involvement in the family, that she should take this this gift uh, um, tomorrow on our birthday, um, oh. because because she she is more involved in the family business than I am. I'm here for her. I'm here to support her today, really. You know, well, a garden must be kept precisely for mm. the means that it needs to put out there. Like a business, a garden needs to have a vibe or <laughs> a certain kind of image it needs to uphold. Mm. You understand this correctly? Yes, naturally. Obviously. You're very keen. I do wish you the very best in the rest of your life. However, I've made up my mind already. Oh. I'm sorry? Oh, you know, decisions like these can be made very easily. One simple question gives me enough insight on both of your personalities. On both of your histories. I've picked my choice. It's gonna be Carl. No, there's, there's, well, I mean, that's very generous, but uh, I, I don't, I, I'm sure I don't want this. Um, Christine is, she, she's, she's always wanted this ever since we heard about it when we were children. <laughs> I do. I don't, I don't think you understood me when I said I'm choosing you. And that's final. But, oh. whatever her name can take you, she's the one to embrace it. And with that, Mary leaves the roof garden, leaving Carl and Christine with their, their jaws dropping at what they just heard. And the, and the wind of the night, the chill, the night chill, feels particularly cutting, Christine. It feels, it feels as if the breeze itself as well is taunting you. Mocking you for not getting this. Really, Carl? A rose? What just, what just happened there? 
I mean, I thought that was a safe answer. I mean, it's it's a cliche. And roses, I mean, come on. Uh, you ask anybody what's your favourite flower and it's going to say they're going to say rose. So you can spin and stories and hook some heartstrings, of course. Well, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know what just happened. I. What is this anyway? What is this? I've this 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 ancient landscape gardener and architect turns up and says, "I'm I'm it." I mean, who's who's even met this woman before? And apparently, she does she designed our family home. Well, why haven't we met her before? I don't. Who's this? Our great auntie Agatha or something? What's going I, on? I, 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 I don't know. It's, but it should have been me who should have found out. I know. Out I know it should have been you. Well, I, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't. I don't know. I mean, if I can, if I get this thing tomorrow and I can give it to you, I will. I promise. I, you could just, you know, if it's a big box, you get the big box. Whatever it is, it's yours. It's no problem. Right. It's well, well, but but she chose you. It's surely it's not something as simple as an item to be handed over. I don't know what it is. I guess we find out tomorrow. In fact, it might be a kiss. I suppose. What's her name? Can do the embracing. What's that about? I, I, I haven't a clue. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a virgin. If that's what she thinks. <laughs> I mean, to be honest. Poorly, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm an actor. I mean, come on. <laughs> that you are. You proved that tonight. Sadly, for Carl, especially for Christine, the gift that Angelique gives Carl the following night is not one that he could just simply pass on to her sister, to his sister. The gift of the blood is especially in this family something that is not to be given lightly. Christine does partake in the blood, but she will soon know that being kindred and being a kindred school are as different as day and night. This has been the conversation that kicks things off for the twins and how Carl finds himself in the nights of Bristol. And now with you, Carl the Tarot. I didn't want this. I didn't ask for it. And yet I have it. I have the elixir of youth, eternal life, some might say, perhaps not lasting for all eternity. The heat death of the universe is inevitable after all, and yet many thousands and thousands of nights I will live, if living this be called. It is life, for the most important thing, the pursuit of beauty, 
is still mine to pursue. I will still love. I will still feel. I will still look and hear beauty. Even if I can no longer see the day. Even if I am confined to darkness. And yet I can be a light in that darkness. I can bring my own beauty to others. I can craft art to transport others into a beauty that only I can see. I did not want this. I favoured the transience of human existence. But now I know that the night is where I will belong always. I have made my peace with that. But within me, I know there rages something. And that is beautiful too. We are all beautiful. Even when we rage. Welcome back. Now for the embrace of Nanyuso. And playing our lovely ministry girl is... Bex. <laughs> you won't remember me from such characters as Velvet Riley. <laughs> <laughs> now Bex, so Nanyuso, uh, finds herself doing some shady business from a man coming from out of town with some suspicious cargo. Chris? Uh, that would be uh, Richard Mons. That's me. Um, and there is somebody else in this scene. Some Someone that has been a while in the world. Someone who is a, a cat herder, an expert <laughs> wrangler. Joining us from other, also other one shots. Uh, uh, most famously as Hugh the Bowman. We have... Um, I don't think I'm announcing who I'm playing just yet. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah just yeah. just let's leave it there for people to find out. <laughs> now, Richard, you're tired, you're dirty, you're soaking wet. The last night was awful. You were paid very handsomely to get some weird cargo all the way to Bristol. Now you have known that there is someone in Bristol you can trust, someone you know, by reputation. This woman goes by the name of Nan Giselle. Um, and uh, the, last, the last leg of your trip is bringing this cargo together with an escort from the island of Madeira in the Atlantic, a Portuguese island. You found a fisherman with a boat, got the cargo, started making your way with a tiny vessel, kind of a dangerous trip all the way to Bristol. Last night was awful. 
the seats were rough. Uh, there was a, a hole in, in the in the in the hull of the ship. Part of the cargo was lost. Not the important part, but other little bits and pieces. Together with the man who was escorting the cargo, he just dropped over, uh, you know, man overboard. You managed to hail Nangesel, who, through her contacts, found someone who would just go there, find you, and tow you back to Bristol. She managed to wave all the questions through customs as they could, you know, realistically say that they were doing, you know, salvage operations, getting a ship that was stranded. And uh, now the storm has passed. The weather is still very cloudy. It's very overcast. The wind is kind of biting at you because you're still kind of wet. But you have managed to get this cargo into this little warehouse and you're with Nangesel. And it occurs to you, only her knows that the cargo survived the trip. In everybody's eyes, the cargo and the person who was escorting it are gone. So I'll leave it to you guys. Okay. I really owe you one. You, uh, you, you certainly live up to your reputation. Yeah, you're right. You do owe me one. I mean, what was this all about in the first place? I mean, it, you, you must have had a plan for getting this in here, right? <laughs> the plan went to shit along with the biggest sea storm I've seen in a while. Well, Rich, this can't stay here, right? This is a temporary measure. It's not... It's not something that I want out to do with. So you you and I, we've got to get a plan together for getting this out of here, wherever it is. You, you have a buyer, I assume. You ain't bringing this in for nothing. Yeah, yeah no, I was... Uh, it's my job to ferry it. It was... Uh, there was an escort attached, but he... Uh, well, Poseidon had his way with him. Uh, I, well, that's what happens to people who don't respect the sea. The sea is no one's mistress. No, too right. But uh, I, I know the guy who set it up. I, uh, I can deliver the cargo as requested. You, you snuck it, you snuck it by, right? No one's, no one's snooping around. No one's coming in, right? Relax. I'm better at this than what you are, apparently. So you're fine. You ain't gonna have no one asking questions. But yeah. That don't mean I'm happy about this. I move other things around. And that is no, you know, and this is, this is a problem, right? It's trouble. That's why I need it out. But I'm assuming you can call your guy and arrange for him to come and get it. You know the business. You know trouble's part of the game. But I owe you one. I'll cut you in on this. And it could be very lucrative for the both of us. Hey, wait, wait, wait. What makes you think I even want to in on that, right? I mean, you ask me, what's in that box anyway? I have no idea what's in the box. They gave us a bunch of rules. It was that it was that the box was going to be watched over. My job was just to get it here. My job was to pass it on. And the biggest rule of all was don't look in the box. Well, then what is it you're going to cut me into? Because I don't want trouble. And if... If I know anything about this business, it is that 
if people are telling you don't look in the box, what you absolutely mustn't do is look in the box. At the moment, we have got no sort of trouble if we don't know what's in here. Say you open that box up for a sake of argument. Say you open it up and there's, I don't know, a dead body in it. Say then you have an attack of conscience and you want to do something about that dead body. Then I've got a problem that I don't have if we never look at it. Or if I never have anything to do with it or you don't cut me in this deal. I was going to cut you into the transport fee, but if you're suggesting that we open the box, I was thinking exactly the same thing. Look, Are you deaf? I just said the exact opposite of that. I'll rephrase your words for you. It's like, we open the box. If we don't like what's in it, we close the box. We deliver it. If the box is full of gold, then... Gold? Like... What is this? 1,500? It's not going to be full of gold, is it? You twat. Right? <laughs> it's not a thing of this. I don't want to open this. Like I said, there's going to be trouble, right? You said they said not to open it, whoever these you, people are. Why do you, you want to... You haven't been in the game as long as I have. If this is a big score, I could retire, and even you could retire. It's like, we there's, there's no downside to this. We open the box, we see what's in it. If it's riches, if it's artwork, if it's... They're paying me a lot of money to transport this box, okay? If there's I mean, something worthwhile in this box, it went overboard. It went overboard with the guy who was there to look after it. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There was a bloke and he went overboard? I said before... You never I... said nothing about a bloke. You I called me up, you called me up and you said, Nanj helped me with a problem. You didn't say, Nanj, come down here, open a box, I got no idea what it's in. And we might be in a whole world of trouble. Sorry, mate. Not my circus, not my monkeys. No problem with this. The box is here. The guy, the guy who was meant to watch over the box, he's sleeping with the fishes. Okay? But you don't think someone's going to miss him? And be asking around questions? Yeah, in the biggest storm that I've ever seen in my life. The box, the guy who spent a lot of time at have you? Looking at big storms. Jesus Christ. All right, well. You run the ports, I ride the boats, I smuggle from country to country, you keep things moving here, right? It's like I've seen my fair share of storms, and that is the worst storm I've seen in my life. I almost fucking died for this box. Yeah, you still might, mate. That's all I'm saying. Like, you reckon this bloke who's paying you will pay you enough that if you halved it with me, that's it, I could get out? You'd get, you'd get, like, I, I didn't say half. I'd pay you for, I'd pay you for drawing me in. The box is full of gold, you can have half. It's like, you take the risk with me. What if the box is... split 50-50. What if the box is full of footballs? I don't want half of that. Yeah, that's no kind of deal, is it? I I, if, I want if, I want if, half your fee. If what the, if what's in the box ain't good, we close the box and we deliver it. Do you think they're not going to know we opened it? Look, it's nailed shut. Are you a bleeding idiot? Have you never done carpentry? Slam some. No, I ain't never done carpentry. Unsolved. Why would I have done carpentry? I'm a bloody smuggler, aren't I? Like, <sighs> slam some nails through it. It's closed. All right, we, we're 
smuggling the box, okay? The box was in a storm. It's pretty beat up already. Oi, don't patronise me because you ain't like what happens next. Just saying. Look, if, you're you prepared, if you're prepared to give me half your fee, I'll open this box with you. And you're right, if it's just footballs or some shit contained within, then we'll go and nail it all down since you're so much of a bloody carpenter. And then you can send it off to wherever it's going. But I'm telling you this, once and for all, if trouble comes out of that box, they're going to have to blue light you to the hospital, mate. <clears throat> we doing it then? Are you a gambling man? I ain't no man. But Are you anyway. a gambling woman? I don't like the tone of your voice, Rich. But the answer to your question is, of course I am. But I take calculated risks. I don't take stupid risks. Yeah, the risk of grabbing a football to play sports. It's an example, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if it were full of footballs, it might have floated. But I take your point. I like we the do dice. it? Shall we do it then? I like the dice. And the dice say that we should open the box. But you haven't agreed with me the fee, yeah? I'm happy to do it for the right price. If it's you getting are... me out. The only, the only thing I need out of this is if the, we open the box, you keep quiet. I'll go 50-50 for that peace of mind. You might talk a lot of shit, but I know you run business clean. You're right about that. You're proper black and white on that one. Okay, so we open the box. We go 50-50. Right. Solid. Deal. Shake on it then. All right. And uh, I shake like shake, but I'm already holding a crowbar. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that is that they, they shake hands. Richard and Nan Giselle come to an agreement and, uh, and Richard steps up and starts, you know, opening the crate. Now, I'll be leading over the crate because I want to see what's inside. Sandy, you have been awake for a while, enough to have heard all of this conversation transpired. You're still groggy. You know, it's the daylight hours. Sounds that you're in a safe-ish place. And then you hear the sound of metal scraping the wood and the creaking and groaning of the wood as it's being bent and some of the nails starts coming loose. Would you please describe what Richard and Nangisel see when they open the crate? So inside the crate is a um, fairly well-dressed man. He wears good quality clothes that look old. He's wearing a suit, but it's, it's not a modern suit. It's a good couple of decades out of fashion. But he is a very good-looking man, however. Um, very good-looking. Um, 
and his clothes are of very high quality. And um, as you lift the lid off, he just sits up and catches both of you with his eye. Um, and he is using ore. Okay. I guess so I'm standing is... still. Yes. <laughs> he is very magnetic. Yeah. What is this? Both of your eyes are locked into this man's eyes. So literally someone just said, sat from within the crate. We're having a laugh, it's a bloke. Are you a mind reader, Nez? You said there was a body in the box? That was a fucking joke, mate! Enough, quiet. You? Where is Eugene? Speak. Which you... of us is he pointing at? Uh, he's pointing you... at uh, Richard. Eugene yeah. was the name of the, of the okay. escort. Eugene, uh, he 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 got swept overboard in the storm. Oh, well, he was useless then, wasn't he? And and what are you two doing? You well, you are the you are the man that Eugene hired, and and this. I'm I'm the person. What means you're not sitting at the bottom of the ocean, mate? So I'd ease up on the attitude if I were you. Where are we? What? what Where is this place? It's Bristol. Well, there's something gone right, at least. Alright. What were you doing in, in that box? Travelling, obviously. You could have just rolled in the boat with me. What, you can't drive a car, mate? Why do I drive a car? Right. Well, it's easier and more comfortable than lying in a box, isn't it? You tell me. Right. <clears throat> what time is it now? Where in Bristol are we? Hang on a minute. Who died and made you king? You're a man in a box. Why have I got to answer all your questions? What is your name? I ain't telling you my name. I weren't born yesterday. Yeah, catches your eyes. A lot more. Okay. What is your name? Uh, it's Nanjazal. Alex Courtney, actually, that's my name. But well, most folks call me Nanjazal. Something is attractive, anyway, I guess. And you? It switches attention to Richard. Richard Mullins. Right, and you're the one that lost Eugene and brought other people in to get me here, yes? I got the box back to Bristol. Right. Um, Nanjizo. What? Give me your arm. I hand out my arm. Okay. Inspects it carefully. Yes. What is this on your arm? It's a, ta a tattoo, isn't it? A tattoo? Yeah. Oh, read it to me. What, you can't read? Of course I can read. I want you to read it to me. It says stronger than death. Which is ironic, really, isn't it? Is it? Why? Well, he's just going to bite into the wrist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> for Richard, this is insanely disturbing. And he would run away. Things that yeah. as he bites into Nangisel's wrist, he can see this man's eyes 
transform, literally transform. They go from their usual green color to bright yellow, and the iris is slit. They look mesmerizing. Those eyes draw Richard's attention, and he's helpless. He cannot... He's thinking somewhere in the back of his mind. Call for help. Do something. He's not moving. This man is keeping his eye contact. Nanjasel, on the other hand, the tattoo on his wrist, reading stronger than death, seems, seems a little bit of a joke, really, as she feels her own life being drained away. For both of you, the day is gone. You're not very aware of how this happened, but when you come to your senses, it's night. And Nanjiso feels hungry, feels cold, but somehow it doesn't bother her. Richard, on the other hand, is just coming to his senses. He's very exhausted from the ordeals of the trip. And now the interaction with this man, he doesn't know quite well what he did to him. He's now sitting uh, in, the, uh, in the warehouse more comfortably. He has a cane in his hands and he's regarding the both of you. So, Nanjiso, I imagine you're feeling a bit angry now. Yeah, but I, it's, it, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm hungry for. Oh, you'll find out, you'll find out, but luckily for you, there is a meal provided. The question is how much you feel like taking. What are you want about? There ain't no caterers here. Well... As I say, we'll, we'll wait and see on that. Well, wait a minute. Just sit here. If I remembered this right, you bit me. Yes, Are yes, you some um... sort of freaky weirdo? Then she checks her wrist. There is no marks. Yeah. But she does seem very pale. Now, now that she's looking at her arm, probably it's under this light. It's a very dark place. There's only a single light that is on and the amber light it's it's not very well you know it's not very good for okay. for, for distinguishing but she what? also feels her own skin very cold to her own touch no more than you dear no more than you what what is this uh, i can't even think straight she uh. should um Pay attention to your senses. Can't think. What can you see? What can you smell? As this man says these things, you are very aware that even though you feel cold and pale, Richard next to you seems warm. And you can smell it. You have smelled it before. It's blood. You look quickly your eyes start and trying to find if there's any blood somewhere i mean you were bitten after all but there's none on you and there's none on him he has a slight 
bruise on his forehead with a, a dried out bit of blood. Probably he was hit there. But that, that is where your attention is drawn. That makes your gut turn and wrench. The, the prospect of having blood is what you're desiring. So it's not that I imagine you'll be paying much attention to this, but with Eugene gone, I find myself in need of um, some local assistance. I think since you seem slightly more capable than your compatriot here, you can be the assistance. Of course, if you think he is of use, then um, perhaps you will control your hunger. Uh, Richard. Perhaps God. you won't. Richard, can you hear me? Yeah, what's... I don't know what's happening, but you need to run away right now. I don't know what it is. Just leave this place now. Get out of here. I can't. I don't even know how much longer I can talk to you this way. Just you're leave. Not, you're not looking so hot now. It's like... <sighs> I don't know. I don't know what this is. You have to get out of here, mate. I'm not kidding you. Somehow... Richard wants to leave, but something keeps him here. Something. He's not quite sure what it is. But eventually, Nangisel's beast, she feels it. She feels another presence within her taking over. Yeah. And uh, she will jump at Richard and start feeding. Now, Bex. Do you reckon Nangisel would be able to stop herself shy of killing Richard? Or would she let the beast run loose? Because at some point, the, the, the scales start tipping. As you drink blood, the hold of the beast on you diminishes. And your own will, however feeble it might feel right now, starts going back up. So there is the possibility of so not think, killing him. Of not killing him. Okay, so I think... But he will um, be, like, severely drained. Severe blood loss. He might, he might need he a He might hospital. still die. He <laughs> might still die, yeah. But it would not be here. It would not be now. And there is the possibility of doing something. Okay. Um, so what, can I assume that there comes a point where I will feel that his life is starting to ebb away? Yes. For, so I think that yeah. that's the point where she will try to stop. She's not, at this point anyway, a murderer. Um, but, but yeah, but whether or not she's successful is another matter. Yeah, she will feel it because there is a lack of positive pressure from the blood coming out. Yes. She, st she starts draining it, sucking it, like trying to get it out. But at some point, that same effort means he's lost a lot of blood. Sandy is looking at this, and Nanchisel somehow manages to compose herself. Not for long, but enough. Richard is there, almost unconscious. He's, he's dizzy and wobbly. He's almost, he's, he's got a very slight grip on his own consciousness. But he's not doing well. 
Sandy will um, poke him. Still alive. Says well. You've got to help him, please. Well, I don't have to help him. If you want to help him, you, you go ahead. Will I pick Richard up? Mm-hmm. No, put make him a down, put him for the down. door. <laughs> okay. Don't be stupid. If you want to help him, you have to do it properly. What? Just... What do you mean? Nick your wrist on your own tooth and drop oh. the blood into his mouth. So I'll do what he says. And uh, very weak as Richard is, he starts drinking from your blood. And it feels similar to how you felt. Now you remember it. When this man bit into your wrist, you feel this rush. And it is different because now your beast comes back. You're losing blood. But Richard manages to drink some blood. And you can hear his faint heartbeat stabilize. He's not what, some amusement this evening, at least. What? Now, this is important. Lick the wounds. Lick the wounds you made on him. Lick the wounds you made on yourself. Uh, well, do what, it, what, girl. It... Stop standing there. I'll do it. I'll look confused. I'll do it. <laughs> but immediately, as your tongue passes them and you, you check them again, the marks are gone. Your the, mar- the, the, the bite marks you did on his... On his neck, the, mic, mar, the bite marks on your own wrist, they just disappear. And if what? if Nangisel thought anything was weird up until this point, he cannot trump her seeing a wound that she inflicted on her own wrist close just because she licked it. Who are you? And what sort of a joke is this? Well, no more of a joke than yourself. Um... <clears throat> You see, I need some assistance in Bristol, and you are that assistance, and you seem to have chosen your own assistance as such. You are what we call kindred, and he is um, what we refer to as your ghoul. So this, this can't be real. This is this is mad. I, I, I just, I just drank blood from his neck. Oh, yes. Uh, I, I couldn't stop myself. I couldn't stop myself. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm cold and you, and you, and you bit me and there's nothing, nothing there. Like, just like what I did to him. Right, yeah, learning fast. Excellent. What? Stronger than death, hey? <laughs> anyway, I think we spent quite enough time in this warehouse, don't you? Oh. You can take me to your place of residence. We'll have to prepare it before the evening. And um, bring him too. He'll be sure it'll be useful. Uh, Alright. And as Nangisel takes poor Richard... Logo Silversmith. She'll find out her, yeah. his name is. 
uh, and, and goes with Sandy, she will learn. She will learn of what he is, why he was coming back to Bristol, and the weird relationship he had with the Autarkis faction before he left, left in less than amicable terms. But of course, this happened almost 30 years ago, 25 years ago, 1987. And uh, whatever happened from the night she died and came back is a completely different story. And <laughs> now I leave you with Nan Giselle. They told me I've got to talk to you, say something about myself. Which would be perfectly honest, a bit of a ball ache because I don't like talking about myself. Especially not to people like you I don't know. Anyway, my name's Nan Giselle, or Nan, folks call me. Of course, it's a made-up name, innit? I weren't born yesterday, I'm going to give you my real name. I'm what you call an autarchist, which is a posh word for saying independent in a city, not one of the politicians or the anarchists. You're not vampires alike, they've got a name for everything, a tradition. You've got to stay in your box. Anyway, autarchist suits me, because I get stuff in and out of the city. Move it around without no questions asked, right? In, out, don't matter if you're a vampire or if you're a, a, a mortal, no, no mind. Let someone else out of it too, though, because I like the water. And the thing about water is it, it can be anything. It's, uh, it's like a bridge, a connector. It can be raging like a, a storm or it can be still as the dead. It's transformational. You can go in at one thing and come out another. And that's comforting to me. Anyways, don't tell anyone, because like, vampires are not really into spiritual stuff. That's not really their bag, right? It's, uh, I want to be a laughing stock, right? I've got a reputation to uphold. Anyway, the way I see things, you make a choice. It's your responsibility, your accountability. It's my choice, my responsibility. That's just the way things is. It's ain't one rule for one. What else can I tell you about myself? Oh, he plays a guitar. I'm really good too. You should ask Carly, I'll tell you. And then... Look at this, Jan's dog did this. Anyway, I'd love to stand here chatting to you all night, but City are playing down Ashton Gate and they got a, a chance of making the playoffs. So I got a pub to get to. I see you around. Hello and welcome to the embrace of Janus. And uh, playing our beloved Janus is... Peter! <laughs> <laughs> You might remember him as the <laughs> storyteller. Streams as yeah, as the storyteller in Blood of the Tavises, and <clears throat> Benjamin Green in Blood of the Tavises. Uh, so now he will be playing Janus, our Shimitsu character for the Blood of the Seven Chronicle, and uh, reprising on the role of his sire. Hello, uh, I'm uh, Robert. Nice to meet you. And I'll be playing uh, Danik Spiva. And uh, a trusty companion of Danik is his ghoul, member of a revenant family. Today played by... Hi, I'm Blair. I'm playing Alina Sobol. Yep. <laughs> Don't know if that's... Yep, Sobol. So, after... After... Pretty much running and hiding for a while after the, the terrible, terrible events that transpired 
back home in Bristol for you, uh, Janus, you find yourself in Poland, the native land of your family. There you have met Tanek, someone who approached you and seems to have knowledge of, of the faith of those that were like your family. He has invited you over to the Carpathians. He believes that there is a, a grove of sacred trees in which you can have a conversation for there is, there is much that needs to be said according to him. It is a beautiful night, a midsummer night. And this is important for the faith. Danik knows it. Now, the festivities of midsummer are sacred. So this is a very auspicious night for big changes and big decisions. Take the floor. You are in this grove and you are met with, a, as you can see, lots of reverence by them wearing the garments of the faith. So I'll make my slow way with my stick towards the pair of them. Um, and then when I, when I arrive, there'll be that kind of slightly awkward, you know, like he'll bow, but it will take him a little while to get down, right? And then he'll stay there. Am I right? Uh, thank you. Good evening. Good evening, sir. Welcome on this most auspicious night. Thank you uh, for for inviting me, I, I must say, I've, well, I've, I've heard stories, of course, but, but I, I've never had the chance to be here in person. I, I'd begun to think that I, I never would, if I'm, if I'm honest with you. Sometimes a journey takes a great time. Patience. But perhaps it might have been sooner. I hear things have been difficult. Please. Yes. Yes, they, they... They have been difficult. I... I wish to hear a little more. It has been a long time since I have heard from Mesha. Well, I, I bring grave news in, in that case, for, uh, for you will not hear any news from, from the flock. A, a great tragedy befell, befell us all. Yet you survived. Yes, yes, I, I, I survived. Um, forgive me, it, it, it is 
it is difficult to speak of. I, um, well, I've always worked the grounds, you see, and looked after the hounds and, uh, and kept an eye on things. And so I, I, I was not at the house when it happened. I, uh, I heard, of course, sounds, sounds of I, I don't know who they were. I, I don't. I don't. I don't really understand why it happened. But but enemies, enemies of the faith, defilers. They they came. They came with weapons and and without warning. And they didn't announce themselves. They didn't. They didn't. They just, they just came and they just attacked. It, it was awful. It was... The dogs, um, of course, wanted to protect their masters. But they were, they were shot just as callously. I, uh, yes, I realized very quickly that there was going to be no hope for, for any of us. So I, I gathered what I could find. I ran. Forgive me, but I, I left them there. Uh, you abandoned them. They were my family. I abandoned them, yes. I... I didn't want those people to take everything. I... I was not... I had been there perhaps one of the longest of all, but I was not the wisest. I, I knew my role and I was happy with it. But I, I knew enough to know that there were things which outsiders should not get their hands on. Sacred things. Precious things. But I knew where they were stored. Thought, thought that was better than than dying for nothing. Did I... Did I do wrong? What were you able to retrieve? Ah, I... I have it with me. A meager... A meager collection. I'm sorry, but... Um, g g give me a, a, a moment. So he will... be carrying a, a sort of... satchel which he will slowly unbuckle and take out some carefully wrapped objects, uh, which he will offer very humbly 
towards you. Elena, Elena will take them and slowly unwrap them before showing them to. Okay, so Danik will have a, a look at the items Alina shows him. He does recognize one. One that Nyesha took herself when she went to Britannia. When she started a flock of the faith. One that is related to the, the visions she's spoken to in her letters. And this old man not only was able to retrieve it, but also safeguard it. You have done well. You are no warrior. But... Not all warriors need wield a blade. There are other tools at our disposal. As my... Father said to me... Often... We must win in any way we can. We must survive when it is needed. Our faith, the strength of us is not in one person, but in our beliefs that they are handed down. Thank you for for saying this. I means means so much. Tell me, what do you think you will do now? You have come here. What did you do after Mesha and the others? We're gone. For, for a time, I, I, I fled and I, I found refuge where I could. I had lived with them since I was a boy. They have always been my family, kept me, kept me safe from the world. And how did it feel with no family to protect you? I... I do not like... I do not like the way things have changed. I did not enjoy my time travelling. It's not like this place. It's not cherished and sacred. It is filthy and noisy. Mm. I do not understand why people choose to live this way. I, I was glad that you found me when you did. I, I was beginning to lose hope. I doubt 
Well, Bristol was my home, and, and I have no other. I, my family outside of, outside of those who raised me are, are rumors to me. I don't, I don't have anywhere else to go. Your home is under Perun's blessing, under the sky itself. You may wander and roam, but all this land is his. All this land is ours. But what of those people who have who have taken, who have defiled that land? What of them? What of them? What of those who came for you? Well, I, I am... I am not important in, in the, the grand scheme of things. I was content. But, but what those people did was wrong. What they, what they did to the land was wrong. What they did to my family was wrong. I don't know anymore. There are many who do not understand. Who fear what is here. The wonders of this beautiful place that Perun has given to us. I'm sad to hear that Mesha is gone. But there are others out there who are as lost as you are. Perhaps this was Perun's guidance that you might find some emptiness to understand what they feel that you might seek them out and find them and show them the family that you found yes yes I... Alina yes you were lost, were you not? I was. And, and how did you find yourself again? My family showed me the way. Well, will you show me the way? Please. It is what I am to do. Yes. Then I shall. Thank you. This place is special, Yanesh. You 
are special. You have brought us something very important. Tell me, are you willing to give yourself to Peron? I... Yes, I've always... I've lived a life of of service, and, and it has brought me great contentment. There are a great many sacrifices that Perdon asks us of Otto. He has asked them of me. He has asked them of Alina. And now we ask them of you. Y- yeah, yes, of course. Of, of course. If there is something I can do, I, I, will, I will gladly do it. Good. Are you willing to risk everything? To offer everything to Perun? To challenge even the realm of Veils, the Horned One? To see what is beyond the darkness? To be forged in the fires of Svarog's forges and be made anew. Everything of value that I have, I've, I've already given to you. If, you. if you wish for the rest of it, then, then it, it is yours, Alec. I only worry. When Mesha needed you, you left. You did what you thought was right. But if you are to be given this chance again, you cannot allow such fear or cowardice. You must know that you are something more, chosen for something greater. Do you believe you are meant for something greater? I, I, I did not. I, I've never seen myself as a, as a great man. I, I've always seen myself as, as one in service to, to great men. But if, if your command to me is, is to stand firm against against people who would defile what is sacred, then then and I, I will I will stand in whatever way I can. Alina. Yes. What do you think? I rely on you. Do you see promise in this one? 
If he is willing to risk that which he ran to protect his life, then yes. Do you see something more than the others? He's the best in many ways. None of them truly admitted. None of them were ready to be molded. Forgive, forgive my interruption. Did, did some others make it back? Did someone else escape? just turn to Alina. Did any others make it back, Alina? Those who underwent this ritual before? None of them have come back. I'm afraid, Yanesh, that your friends are gone, and you will have to find new ones. But... I think you may count us amongst your first. Your new family. Thank you. You, you, you do me great honor. What to come is not for the faint of heart, Yanesh. Are you truly prepared for this? Are you ready? What, whatever you, you, you ask of me, I, I will attempt it. <laughs> Little time to wait now. <laughs> and with that, sorry. And with that, Danik approaches Janus. Now he notices the other implements that they have around. Shovels and wood and other things. But no matter, he follows through. Alina prepares the ground for a ritual, and you believe it to be a midsummer ritual, but it's different from the ones you have done in the past. It couldn't possibly be one. Well, Danek allows you for the first time to give your full sacrifice, which is something you have only heard on whispers back home, back with the family, back with the flock. Soon, Janus will realize that he was not ready. <laughs> For after all of his blood is drained, a stake is put through his heart and he's interred underground. He has, of course, no recollection of this. The prayers are being said by Alina and Danik above ground. He will, they will come back allowing for the process to take place, to see if you will indeed survive. 
Sadly, for Dani Canalina, in 1971, Romania and many areas around the Carpathians suffered great floodings. And the way back to the grove is completely cut. Then, during the time of the Socialist Republic of Romania, they had to run away. It wouldn't be until almost a decade later in which they could come back to the place. Almost resignated to find nothing. During this time, Janus, you feel yourself be one with the earth. You have vivid visions of the world, of a great fire within the world, and within it, the love and affection of everything. You feel the soft caress of Mother Earth against your cheek. You feel the ruling skies petal himself, watching over your resting place, kissing Kostroma as if one would kiss a river. You see a heart of wood pumping, a fiery symbol that just jumps out of the bonfire and into the water, and it's reborn. When Danik and Alina returned to the grove, the landscape has changed. This area didn't suffer much of the flooding, but getting to such a secluded place through other parts that had was almost impossible. Now they will notice a young tree in the clearing. A young willow tree that Alina will remember. The stake used for the ritual asked for a whipping willow. Shouldn't take hold in this ground, not under floodings, not on this weather. This is not where whipping willow should be. However, the small and young whipping willow is there. And as Alina and Danik move the ground, they can see that the, the stake that had run through Janus's heart still was green and sap had it. It had taken root, not only in the ground, but in Janus's himself. And it had grown where it shouldn't. And Janus is there. He did transform. The ritual did not end him. Some blood will return him after the stake is thoroughly removed and all the roots are taken out of his heart. But it did not destroy him. A miracle. Not only Perun and Kostroma, but Misha's visions of Kupala, for tonight is also a midsummer night. Ring true in Danik's ears. And for the first time, Alina finds himself, finds herself with the closest to undeniable truth of the existence of the old Slavic gods. The floor is yours. I, I didn't think that. 
I said what I had to and repeated what I was told, but I didn't think I didn't think it was true. Faith, Alina, faith. Mesha spoke true, it would seem. Do you see? I wonder what's so special about him. He was eager. Eagerness doesn't really mean anything. A life almost spent. So often, we look to the young to change what is to come. Like yourself. But sometimes it takes time to be prepared for what is to come, for the seed to be properly sown. Ah. This is a wonder. I had hoped. But also I one back to find nothing there in my mm. I wonder what he'll become. If Mesha is to be believed, Kupala has indeed granted him with the greatest of gifts. Ah, uh, mistress of magic, Midsummer. It is a wonder, this new birth. And I, uh, oh, sorry, believe maybe uh, he will be gifted with a great power of the earth of that which Perun would only sow in the noblest of hearts. I am sure that he will be the warrior that he was not before. I have... Yeah, Lena is going to produce a small knife from her belt and make an incision on her wrist and hold it above his mouth. After most of the roots have been removed and the blood of Alina falls into Janice's mouth, he can see a river of fire and gold in his mind's eye before opening his eyes to the night. And now his eyes are focusing on her. You're not quite sure what is happening. You should be dead, but you are not. Her blood carries carries the taste of the ages, as if generation after generation have had written in their blood, tattooed in their DNA, the instructions that the gods have left the mortal man. Soon Janus realizes he's no longer a mortal man. And Alina's blood, though powerful, 
more powerful than the blood of a normal mortal. She's also more. With the teachings of Danekin, what it's to become a Koldun, and the aid of Halina and her bloodline of the Sobol, Janus is ready to prepare his flock. Once he goes back to Misha's domain and claims it for the religion. And now, I'll leave you with Janus Kroll. Ah, so you've come all the way out here in the dead of night to speak to me, alone. Some would say that is unwise, but wisdom, true wisdom, cannot be gained without some wandering in the dark. Was it curiosity or loyalty that drew you to me? Perhaps a little of both. I, though, would prefer it the latter, for loyalty is the first step on the path to faith. You are loyal, aren't you? Yes. Yes, I see that you are. Then let us take this next step together. Imagine yourself working alongside your fellow seekers. Remember the sense of connection. Feel the bricks in your hand, their rough texture a match for your calluses. It is through this purifying work, this placement of each brick, that you build something stronger, something greater than yourself. It links you to them and to me through blood and sweat. Through this, you are joined with the house and through the house, the earth and through the earth, Kupala himself. Yes, you feel it now, don't you? Hold on to that feeling. Close your eyes. It is time to talk about sacrifice. So thank you very much. As you can see, I'm, I'm now with everybody. Uh, this has been a massive thing. I love you all. Thank you. Thank you to all of our players and our guest players and to the Mitch himself, who is also here in the cold, taking care of all the the technical stuff, especially with m dealing with me as a tech ghoul is a proper nightmare. Again, a massive shout out to our production team. Uh, and I, I have two announcements to make. The first one is a simple enough announcement. Next week, we're going to go with episode two, where uh, Coterie is going to be met be met in, in Bristol. But we have surprises for you. So make sure you tune in uh, early because we, we want you to see all the effort that we're putting into upping our production value and our, our, our video quality and our and, and, and the actual product that we're creating here for you guys that we're doing this for our enjoyment as well. So it is, it's amazing to work in something that you love, but I think that everybody has pulled together an amazing thing. So 
make sure to tune in early next week. It's going to be great. Uh, and uh, the other thing is that over the course of the next few weeks, um, we have been having conversations, the people from the, from the stream, and we are transitioning into our sort of own video production company. I think it's, it's, it's high time that we stop calling ourselves by the, the current stream that we're running and we start doing things as, as the group that we are. And we're going to be doing more than just the, the, the streams. We're going to be doing other stuff, video production, but all, all within the world of tabletop role-playing games and trying to dab into other things. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be notifying you of new changes, and, uh, a little bit of a new company image and, and things like that. Uh, so if, if, if you feel that there are times of turmoil, don't worry about it. It is all under Mitch's control. No, it isn't. <laughs> it is, it is, it is, if anything goes wrong, it is absolutely my fault, and I will not hesitate to speak to you in Spanish until you stop complaining, okay? So uh, I just wanted to say this has been a fantastic night, and, uh, and I wanted to thank everyone present, uh, especially our guests who are also part of our community. I never get tired of saying that our community is one of the best I love you and I will leave you. We'll see you next week for the second episode of Blood on the Severn. And I don't know which title card I'm going to go, so I'm just going to transition to a normal. Bye-bye.